Warning, this week's escape pod exposes the truth behind Santa. So if you want to keep the dream slash conspiracy alive in the hearts and minds of your hapless brood, you might not want to expose them to this week's show. Escape Pod 324 December 22nd, 2011 Long Winter's Nap by Catherine Schaefer Hello and welcome to Escape Pod, your weekly science fiction podcast. I'm Norm Sherman. So, it's Christmas, everyone's favorite four months of the year. This year, Christmas and New Year's both fall on weekends, which has got to suck for the handful of you out there that still have jobs. Uh, Christmas Eve, 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 and they're making me work. If you do have some cash jingling around, though, and you want some awesome bang for your buck, which doesn't involve dangerous explosives or two-bit call girls, we still have our Escape Pod Murr Lafferty Holiday Special going on. Twelve total Christmas stories written by your beloved Escape Pod editor. Five original stories from Escape Pod's archives, some re-recorded. Two that have been published elsewhere that you haven't heard. And five brand spanking new stories written just for this occasion. Narrated by the likes of myself, Grant Bachoco, M.K. Hobson, Escape Pod founder Steve Ely, and more. All you need to do is give a one-time donation of 50 bucks, or subscribe to Escape Pod for $5 a month. If you supported the Alphabet Quartet project earlier in the year, you'll already receive this content, as well as the Pseudopod Trio of Terror. Sound too good to be true? Well, so does Flying Venison and Peace on Earth, but that doesn't mean they can't be realized through reindeer cannons and subsequent military supremacy. <laughs> reindeer cannons. That's, uh... Bang for your buck. Alright, so on to this week's story Long Winter's Nap by Catherine Schaefer. Ms. Schaefer is an active member of the SFWA with publications in Analog, Nature, Futures, and several other anthologies and magazines. She attended the Clarion Writing Workshop in 1997 and was twice a finalist for L. Ron Hubbard's Writers of the Future contest. The story first appeared in Analog in 2006. It's read to you by Escape Pod's very own Moon and Mama, Murr Lafferty. So listen up, children, to the wisdom of squirrels, because it's story time. Long Winter's Nap by Catherine H. Sheffer Eat, said Moon and Mama. You have a long winter ahead. Littlest one turned her head away as Moon and Mama lifted the spoon of raspberry pie dripping with honey and caribou fat. Littlest one was sleepy, too sleepy, for what she planned. I'm already full, said Littlest one. Her stomach rumbled, giving away her lie. Moon and Mama shrugged and set the plate away. It was beginning to get cold in the cave as the crackling fire burned down to embers. Soon it would be time to sleep, time to dream of spring, when they would awaken, shivering, and find that Santa Claus had visited them. Moon and Mama lay next to Yeti Daddy and pulled Littlest One down between them, like a baby. All of the others had their own beds. The hardest part was lying still between Moon and Mama and Yeti Daddy without falling asleep. It wasn't like going to sleep at night. There were no blankets to keep them warm, though they had soft beds. More than once, Littlest One shook herself awake after accidentally nodding off. She wasn't sure she could fight off the long sleep by simple force of will, not with the cold coming down into her bones. 
She peeked out from beneath her heavy lids, and the cave was dark except for the thin, crackly lines of orange from the dying embers in the fire pit. The taste of sugar rose to her tongue, and her hands and feet began to tingle. Moon and Mama was still, her breath coming softer and fainter each time. Her bright blue eyes were closed, and her cheek as soft as a baby's. Chestnut hair fanned around her shoulders. Her breasts rose and fell softly with her breath. Yeti Daddy wasn't breathing at all. There was a faint beard of frost on his face, decorating the stubble on his chin. All around lay littlest ones, brothers and sisters, their children, her aunts and uncles and cousins, her grandparents, and all the other people of the tribe. In the summer, when the tribe slept, there were all sorts of sounds in the night, people coughing, snoring, and sometimes laughing. But here there was nothing but a deep silence. Littlest one stood up and shook the tingling out. She felt a pang of longing looking at her parents hibernating, but it wasn't enough to keep her with them. She turned to sneak out. She felt dizzy and stumbled several times as she tiptoed across the sleeping bodies of her tribe. Nothing would wake them now but spring. Littlest one crawled out of the cave and went to the summer house that Yeti Daddy had built. She lit a fire and crouched beside it. When she felt completely awake, she went out into the night. It was snowing softly, and there weren't any stars. She had never been so alone. But she resisted the temptation to go back to the cave with her family. She imagined what they would say when she told them she had met Santa Claus. They wouldn't think she was such a baby then. The days were lonely for littlest one. It grew colder, and all she wanted to do was to go to sleep. Many times she woke herself just on the verge of hibernation and had to get warm again so she wouldn't miss Santy. She knew where to find food, even under the snow. Moon and Mama and Yeti Daddy kept caches of meat and potatoes underground where they wouldn't go bad. There were some nuts and berries left on the bushes, and she didn't need to eat much since she was so small. Digging through the buried boxes, Littlest One wondered why there was so much food with the feast that Santa Claus would be bringing. To fight off the loneliness, she sat on top of the highest hill and looked out over the water. The Hots had called it Saginaw Bay. The wind blew, raising ridges of white up out of the gray water. She cracked a walnut with a rock and wondered how long it would be before Santa Claus came. The snow was as deep as her ankles. She liked to bury her feet in it and wriggle her toes until they popped out like mice. She lay down and stared at the cloudy sky. It was like being rocked in Moon and Mama's arms. She could still hear the bay nearby, crashing against the shore. It was never this angry in summer. The wind blew, bearing the bitter scent of snow. The birds flew away, and snow fell. More snow than littlest one had ever seen before. Cold wind howled down out of the north, slapping her in the face with the scent of pine needles and deep gray water. The nights became quieter, broken only by the occasional cry of a wolf. Littlest one thought she heard the creaking of the glacier, making its slow journey toward their village. One night, a sound made Littlest One sit straight up in her bed. It was a wood frog, croaking all by itself in the swamp. Littlest One hunted for it all the next day, calling softly, Paparana? Paparana? She found him and took him home inside her cupped hands. You're waiting for Santa Claus too, no? In a clay jar by the fire, the frog crouched, moving its gullet up and down. Littlest One appreciated the company, but even more, the frog represented a blessing from the ancestors for her quest. He was the wise and ancient ancestor, Rana Silvatica, who had taught her people to hibernate so that they could stay in their homeland when the ice came. 
Papa Rana had married a human woman, and their children had become Littlest One's tribe. If Papa Rana waited for Santa Clara, staying awake against the approach of winter, so could she. Yeti Daddy's summer house got too cold. It was built of sticks and couldn't keep the wind out. Littlest One could not sleep there anymore. To keep warm and not fall too deeply asleep at night, she had to listen to the wisdom of the squirrels. In the fall, squirrels built a nest outside the hollow tree and lined it with leaves. The more leaves they put in, the warmer it was. This was the learning passed down through the tribe from the first ones. It took a long time to find a hollow tree big enough for Littlest One. When she crawled inside, she had just enough room to lie down curled up in a ball. She collected lots of leaves and dry grass from beneath the snow and stuffed them inside. She carried the jar with the wood frog to the hollow tree, but when she got there, he wasn't inside. Now I am truly alone, she thought. The frog had no doubt gone beneath the ground and fallen into hibernation, his insides bathed in blood, thick and sweet as honey. Littlest one forgot to count the days, and Moon and Mama was not there to remind her. That was why she didn't know how long she'd been on her own when the hots arrived. Snow was pouring down like rain. They flew out of the storm in a shiny metal airplane shaped like a fish and landed right in the middle of the tribal meeting grounds. The bare dirt of the dance ring was covered in snow, and it looked like any clearing in the woods. At first, Littlest One thought that it was Santa Clara, but there were no reindeer, and when the door opened on the giant silver fish, a family came out, not a fat man in a red suit. There was a mama and a daddy in that family, and two children near Littlest One's age. She thought that if they had children, they must be friendly people, so she went out to greet them. Because they were hots, they wore a lot of clothes. Great jackets that went up over their heads with fur ruffs, and giant shoes that went almost to their knees. They hid their hands inside a pair of soft shoes and wrapped cloth around their necks. The snow fell so heavily that at first the family didn't notice her when she stepped out of the trees. The mama screamed, and the children just stared. When the screaming stopped, the daddy coaxed her out of the woods, and they took her into the flying fish. Its stomach was a narrow room. Soft benches covered with short, bright, red fur lined one wall. There were cupboards on both long walls and windows on the sides that looked out onto the snow. A small table sat to one side. The mama, mopping tears from her eyes and making little gasping sounds the whole time, dressed her in some lumpy clothes. Perhaps they were planning a religious ceremony. Littlest one could think of no other reason to wear so much clothing. The mama and daddy went inside a compartment separated from the stomach of the fish by a curtain. The daddy was communicating with some other hots by pressing buttons on the inside wall. About eight years old, she heard him say, wandering naked in the woods. The voices inside the wall sounded like they were talking in a windstorm. Stay inside the vehicle. Rescue team will arrive as soon as possible. Poor visibility. The mama whispered to the daddy, quietly, scolding him for getting them lost in a storm. There was another daddy fussing at the stove with a pot of hot water. The children called him Nanny. He had very pale skin and no hair and wore metal bands around his wrists and neck. The children were excited to meet Littlest One. Where are your parents? the girl asked. She had long blonde hair hanging in two braids down the side of her head. Her name was Shelly. They are sleeping, said Littlest One, under the ground. Shelly opened her eyes very wide. You're all by yourself? Littlest One nodded. I'm waiting for Santa Clara. 
the boy, who was several years younger than his sister, jumped up and down. Santa Claus! Santa Claus! he said. His name was Eric. The blonde girl smiled and leaned close to the littlest one. I've seen him, she whispered. We're going to spend Christmas with my grandma in the mountains, and I sent him a letter saying he should bring my presents there on Christmas Eve. What's Christmas Eve? asked littlest one. She doesn't know what Christmas Eve is, said the boy. It's when Santa flies all over, bringing presents to every boy and girl. He couldn't visit them all in one night, said the littlest one. She was disappointed. He visits all the children on all the planets and all the galaxies all in one night, said Eric. On Christmas Eve. The blonde girl nodded. Tonight is Christmas Eve. But what if we don't get to Grandma's in time, said the boy. Santa won't be able to find us out here by the glaciers. I sent a message to Santa, giving him our coordinates. He has good lights on his sleigh, said the daddy, ducking through the low doorway between the front of the fish and the body. Turning to Nanny, he said, As soon as the blizzard stops, they'll need a rescue team out to pick up the girl and any other survivors. They gave me instructions to treat her for hypothermia, but when I told them she was uninjured, they became very interested. Littlest one sat on her knees with Shelly and Eric on the cushioned bench beneath the window on the side of the fish. Together they peered through the glass out into the night. It was black dark, and they could see nothing but thick snow swirling madly inches from the glass, like a wall of milk. Littlest one could have watched it all night. We'll have Christmas Eve right here, said the mama. Come, Nanny, let's get everything ready. Nanny and the daddy and the mama reached behind hidden doors in the flying fish and got out plates piled with food and bright ribbons and colorful gold balls and strings of tiny lights. They laid a splendid meal on the tiny table. There was a platter of steaming meat and vegetables, golden crusted pies with sweet juices leaking out, and hundreds of candies colored red and white and green. Music began to play, coming from somewhere above littlest one's head. Nanny handed each of the children a curly red and white candy. Thank you, said littlest one. The mama laughed suddenly, as if littlest one had thanked the cook stove or the music box. Nanny raised one eyebrow. You are welcome, he answered. Nanny said a nativity set out, and the children gathered around, admiring the animals and the wise men. Where's the baby Jesus? asked littlest one. A silent pause followed, and everyone looked at her blankly. The best part of the feast was the walnuts. The daddy set out a bowl of walnuts and some nutcrackers made out of metal and began to crack them. She hardly ate any of the meat and pies because she had so many walnuts. And with the clever nutcrackers, it was easy to get them open. But even though everyone was having a wonderful time, littlest one felt confused. It's as if Santa Claus had already been here, she said. Shelley and Eric laughed. No, he brings the presents, said Eric. Littlest one looked at him. Presents? she asked. Yes, you'll see tomorrow. Every spring when littlest one woke up, there was a feast laid out of venison haunches and tiny sweet cakes and candies made of maple syrup and all the walnuts she could eat. There were bright decorations hung from the trees and dried fruits and dancing and singing. At the end of the day, Woodchuck Mama always gave her a special gift. Last spring, it had been a doll made of cloth and stuffed with sweet-smelling dried summer grasses with glass beads for eyes and straw hair. Littlest one already knew that Woodchuck Mama had been working on a beaded dress for her to wear dancing, and that would be her gift for Christmas this year. Could that be what Shelley and Eric expected Santa Claus to bring them? Perhaps Santa Claus didn't really visit the Hots after all, and it was just the presents that made a Christmas celebration. Littlest one smiled and tried to learn the songs the children were teaching her. But inside she felt as if she might cry. 
because she was certain that Santy Clar wasn't coming to the flying fish that night after all. Suddenly, the door to the rear compartment of the fish burst open, and Nanny came in, dressed in a red suit and a white beard. Shelly and Eric jumped up and down, cheering. I told you he would come, said Eric. Littlest one glanced between Nanny and the mama and daddy. Daddy was saying, Come on in, Santa. You're just in time for the celebration. Nanny sat down with Shelly on one knee and Eric on the other. The children's eyes glowed and the littlest one could tell they really believed that Nanny was Santa Clark. She wondered if the parents believed it, too. They couldn't possibly, but by now she would believe anything about the crazy hots. "'What are your Christmas requirements, Shelley?' said Nanny Santa. Shelley told him. She listed dozens of items that Littlest One had never heard of. Then Eric took his turn and did the same. When they were done, Littlest One was offered a turn in Santa's lap. She declined, and Santa stepped out into the snow. I will deliver your gifts between midnight and 0100 hours, said Santa. After a while, all the food disappeared, and the children began yawning and rubbing their eyes. Nanny reappeared in his regular clothes. Shelley begged to stay up a little later, claiming she wasn't tired. Eric cried and demanded that Nanny leave him alone. Nanny wrestled Littlest One into a garment the hots called pajamas. It covered her body from the neck to the feet. It felt like a steam bath on the inside. How may I assist you to fall asleep, he asked her. I am programmed with 1.7 million lullabies and 13,000 human languages. Nothing, please, said Littlest One. The mama and daddy slept up above in the flying compartment, and the children slept on a bed that unfolded from a bench. Littlest One was squeezed beside Shelley with the big kids, not stuck between a mama and a daddy like a tiny baby. Nanny slept on the floor with no blankets, like a dog. Littlest one could feel the heat building in her body, especially her feet, each in its own sack of blanket fabric. She kicked aside the quilt that Nanny had put on top of her and the other children, but it didn't help. At least she wouldn't fall into hibernation inside the hot flying fish, but she couldn't get any rest either, with warmth flooding her body. Soon it was silent, except for heavy sighs of the sleeping hot family. Littlest one pulled down the metal tab that held her clothing on and slipped out of it. Then she lay on top of the blanket. She was so warm that she couldn't stop fidgeting. She wanted to get up and run and jump, but she didn't want to bother the hots. Finally, she fell into a fitful sleep. She woke to hear voices. The three adults were moving silently around the room. They pulled colorful boxes from a compartment high above their heads and whispered to each other. Look at her, said the daddy, naked as a jaybird. Should I cover her? asked Nanny. No, said the daddy. The Washington people think she's some kind of transgenic. Most likely she's comfortable that way. They've already got a team ready at National Hospital to study her. Transgenic? Isn't that illegal? said the mama. It wasn't always, said the daddy. There were dozens of isolationist political factions at the time of the diaspora that may have used transgenic technology to survive the Ice Age, said Nanny. Poor thing. I'm putting her name on some of Shelley and Eric's gifts, said the mama. They'll never know. After a long pause, the mama spoke again. Seems cruel to take her away from her home. Do we really have any right? A child wandering alone in the wilderness? It would be cruel to leave her here, the daddy answered. It would be different if her parents were still alive to care for her. Littlest one watched them through eyes barely open a slit while she pretended to sleep. When they were done piling the presents, they each ate from a plate of cookies, and the daddy drank a glass of milk. Then they went back to their beds. 
Littlest one lay still, but silent tears rolled down her cheeks because she knew she would not see Santa Clara that night, because the presents Eric had talked about were already here, stacked up to the ceiling. More presents than littlest one had got from Woodchuck Mama her entire life. When she was done crying, because no one could cry forever, littlest one began to think about her own tribe's Christmas celebration. When she woke up in the spring, Moon and Mama and Yeti Daddy and the others were already awake. They must have prepared all the food from the underground caches and laid out the feast while the children still slept, then woke them when it was ready. That would explain why the candies that Santa Claus brought tasted so much like the ones that Swamp Under Mama made for the Harvest Festival, and why Moon and Mama spent so much time collecting pine cones in the fall. It was a great game, making a surprise for the children, and Littlest One had never known it. She smiled in the dark because she couldn't wait to tell Moon and Mama and Yeti Daddy what she had learned. More than anything, this would prove to them that she wasn't a baby anymore. She knew a secret that not even the big kids knew. Moving slowly and softly so as not to wake anyone, Littlest One crept out of the bed where she lay with Shelly and Eric. None of them stirred except for Nanny, flat on his back on the cold, hard floor. She put one foot over him and froze while he rolled his head back and forth. Then quick as a snake, his hand was around her ankle and his yellow eyes were open. The lavatory is there, he said. Otherwise, children are required to remain in bed until oh six hundred hours. Littlest one met his gaze. His eyes looked human, except for their color. They were moist and ringed with lashes. His skin was faintly scaled. She wondered if there was a paparana for people like him. Please, she said. It's too warm in here. Nanny's grip on her ankle loosened and then let go. He looked at her for a long time and then he put his arm by his side and closed his eyes. Would he be punished? Littlest one wondered. Then she had a sudden image of the mama scolding the stove or the refrigerator for malfunctioning. She shuddered. Comforting coolness penetrated the door through its metal parts, soothing Littlest one's hands when she touched the handle. Whispering one final farewell to the hot family, she opened it and ran into the night. The blizzard raged on, but Littlest one found her way to the cave even through the snow, her footsteps disappearing almost as soon as she made them. She lay down between Moon and Mama and Yeti Daddy and let hibernation take her, finally. Yeti Daddy. I think that's what I'm going to call my dad from now on. It'll be his Christmas present from me. So it turns out that the abominable snowmen, if they exist at all, probably aren't exactly how we imagined them to be. Kind of like Santa Claus. He doesn't really exist, and if he does, he's actually a morbidly obese criminal trespasser and elf slave driver. And probably a pedophile. But seriously, Merry Christmas, everybody. So, a little bit of news. An FYI, if you will. Escape Pod is closed to submissions starting January 1st. Sorry about that. Gotta clear up some disorganization and get our slush pile under control. It's all good, though. We'll be reading and buying your stories again in no time, and I'll keep you posted on when in the future. Secondly, Poddisc, where people go to order CDs of Escape Pod archives, is shutting down for the time being. Everyone with open orders will be getting refunds. If you have any questions or concerns, please send an email to Paul Herring, Escape Pod's accountant, at paul at escapeartists.net. We hope to work this out in the near future also. All right, let's hit some episode feedback with Escape Pod assistant editor Bill Peters. Take it away, Bill. 
Hello, faithful listeners. I'm here this week with feedback for episode 318, The Prize Beyond Gold, by Ian Creasley and read by Josh Roseman. This one took us to a world where the athletics had split out into the normal humans, and the ones where the things that made them weak and strange have been engineered away. Marie Brennan said, Usually I come into the forums, having not liked a story, and find the thread full of raves for it. In this case, it's the reverse. Partly this may be because I started the prize beyond gold after having bounced off boxed in a few minutes earlier. I'm very hit or miss with dystopias, and I found myself very pleased that while aspects of this setting could be read as dystopian, that's left as a background flavor, rather than being in your face. Unlike many of the listeners here, I was sympathetic to Delroy. I've never been competitive on that level in any field, but I can easily imagine sometimes you just burn out on the entire process. As for the ending, I was okay with that too. For a little while there, I was afraid we would get the Lady or the Tiger on a massive scale, not even finding out whether Delroy decided to throw the race or not. But we did at least get to hear that he gave it his best. Fire Turtle said, I think this was one of the stories that could have been hit or miss for me depending on my mood. Luckily, it was about running, and I had just finished a 5K, 30 minutes before I started listening to it. Timely. Someone said they couldn't understand why he wouldn't be after a person in the race versus the record. Well, since the record was set 75 years earlier, it's unlikely he ever met that athlete, and I don't think he could reasonably be expected to feel as though he was competing against him, given that he was already an old man. A record, though... One of that 75 years of athletes have been smacking into like a brick wall. I'd be up against that sucker. I'd want to be the one who broke it. And that's it for this week. Next week, you'll get the feedback for episode 319, Driving X. Thanks, Bill. All right, folks, that's our show. Happy holidays. Remember, Escape Pod's a production of Escape Artists Incorporated, and it's produced with a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives license, which means don't change or sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. Our music is used with the permission of Daikaiju. Check them out at daikaiju.org. And our closing quote this week comes from Majorie Holmes, who said, At Christmas, all roads lead home. With the animated reindeer in the top at wearing Yeti Now I can be as festive as the next guy But I still have firecrackers from the 4th of July Come on, do I really need six months to shop? Might as well be Christmas non-stop Pretty soon they'll be hanging up lights all over town And it was just last week I finally took mine down Please can I get a break for my sake? All I'm asking for is one month without a fruitcake Give me some time to recover from another year of drunken relatives and a pissed off little brother Singing that stupid Jingle Bell song in the middle of July Somehow seems wrong 
I still got five months to go And I'm already sick of the ho, ho, ho It's Christmas time again Let's see what's on TV It's Christmas time again Well, we got Rudolph, Frosty It's Christmas time again Rudolph versus Frosty It's Christmas time again A CSI Christmas The Christmas season causes great frustration Getting longer and harder like a Viagra patient I just need a vacation from the holiday cheer I don't think that I can take it for the rest of the year And nobody is cheerful anyway It's always give me the damn toys and get the f*** out my way I can deal with that on December 23rd But when it starts up in March, that's a little absurd And then the charities, there's way too many Begging me for money like I have any And there's some idiot flapping his mouth like a flapjack With his peace on earth and all that crap I'd settle for peace in the kitchen But that would mean my relatives would have to quit their bitches And since I doubt that'll ever come about It's Merry Christmas past the gravy and I try to tune them out It's Christmas time again Alright, let's see what Santa brought for me It's Christmas time again Huh, I already have one of these It's Christmas time again Hey, wait a minute, this is mine It's Christmas time again I've been looking for this Christmas usually consists of this Fighting back the urge to shop with my fist Sending out cards to people I never see And trying to keep the dog from peeing on the tree And then the whole family has to search For direction so we can find our way to church I still find it ironic and a little bit odd That my kids believe in Santa Claus but not in God But I ain't taking my kids cause it's too weird To see some child molester in a fake beard I don't care if they kick and scream I ain't doing anything till after Halloween I can only buy damaged and discount due to the amount in my bank account. But I have no motivation to shop when I know I'm still paying off gifts 